0: Hey! Thanks for coming back and watching the rest of this excellent conversation. Here's the last ninety seconds of the first part of this conversation, and we'll just keep going from there. And Israel right.
1: became a nation in a day on May fourteenth, nineteen forty-eight. And two things happened: post-millennialism. All the
0: pre-millennialists <laughs> went see? <laughs> <laughs> Essentially. And a lot of uh, a lot of people who were sceptics, cynics, or otherwise uh, interpreting prophecy. Went. Hmm. Maybe you have a point. <laughs>
1: well, not as much as I'd like, as a premillennialist. Uh, There's still staunch um, and and great. Once again, great friends of mine, and we uh, we and joke like around. Those
0: great and, friends of mine. Love you all.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and and people I respect, great theological thinkers as well. I, yeah, I, 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 think, right. I think no less of them. Uh, we 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 diverge on in our interpretation here, but uh, but let, let me just give you a couple of examples. Like let me just talk about the logic of this. So. Um, in regards to Bible prophecy that supports Israel, Antichrist will make a seven-year covenant with Israel. Daniel 9.27. Now, if Israel's not a nation, um, that prophecy can't come to fruition. So either you've got two options here. Allegorize it or say it's already happened. And there's just no um, evidence that it's already happened. So the, really the only other way is to allegorize it into some sort of spiritual meaning. Uh, Antichrist will invade Israel and desecrate the temple. Now, Jesus himself said this in Matthew 24. Hmm. This is a prophecy... even jesus made so now you gotta you gotta say well was jesus wrong um because if the because you even think about what we talked about before some people are saying that the people in israel now are not real jews
0: may all that you stand for and that we stand for be preserved under the providence of god for the happiness of mankind
1: the trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machines
0: But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state, to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force.
1: Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country.
0: Can you read that verse for me?
1: Matthew 24, uh, 15 to 20, we can look it
0: up. Okay, so this is part of the Olivet Discourse.
1: So the Olivet Discourse. This is a a response or an answer that Jesus gave to to four of his disciples that asked him specific questions around the end times. When, when will you come? What will the sign of of your coming be? What's going to happen in the end? And Jesus gives this this long the the, the longest answer to any question wow. that he gave. That's interesting. Um, and it's the second longest sermon. This is this is only second um, to the um, Sermon on the Mount. Yep. Uh, the Olivet Discourse is is the longest answer to a question, and the and the second longest discourse uh, that Jesus gave.
0: Okay, so in verse fifteen, stopping at verse 20, 24. 24. Sorry, fifteen to twenty. Fifteen to twenty. Uh, so Jesus said, "When so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken about by the Daniel the prophet yeah. standing in the holy place." Mm. Let the reader understand. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one on the roof must not come down to take anything out of his house. And the one in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing their babies in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great suffering, unlike anything that has happened from the beginning of the world until now or will ever happen. Actually, read up to verse 21. So context
1: is key, right? Uh, as we always say, um, Jesus has been asked a question here by Jewish people about specific Jewish landmarks being the temple and a a national security briefing on, on how this is all going to wrap up. And in the context of a national Israel, including national landmarks of Israel, the temple, uh, Jesus responds to um, the inhabitants of that land, including Judea. Um, the abomination of desolation, which is a specific historical reference to a national Jewish tragedy uh, that happened uh, several centuries earlier. Um, My my question is, if the Jews in Israel aren't real Jews, who are these people building the temple? Who are these people that Jesus is referring to living in Judea? Is this a prophecy that Jesus is giving to Arabs living in that time? Like, the, the logic breaks down.
0: Well, let me read the translator's notes here. Um, in, in notes on the phrase abomination of desolation, the reference to the abomination of desolation is an allusion to Daniel 9.27. Though some have seen the fulfilment of Daniel's prophecy in the actions of Antiochus IV or a representative of his, in 167 BC, The words of Jesus seem to indicate that Antiochus was not the final fulfillment, but that there was, from Jesus' perspective, still another fulfillment yet to come. Some argue that this was realized in AD 70, while others claim that it refers specifically to Antichrist and will not be fully realized until the period of the Great Tribulation at the end of the age. Compare Mark 13.14, 19.24 and Revelation 3.10.
1: Yeah, and so let me just sum up basically what what that's saying is either you've you've got a couple of options here. Either Jesus was only speaking historically and that there's no future fulfillment in his words, that the question that, that, uh, that they asked about the future, Jesus answered with an answer from the past, or the preterist position or partial preterist, which is historical, essentially a position that says that all prophecy has historically been fulfilled, was fulfilled in 70 AD, which then it causes a whole bunch of other timeline problems, particularly none less than the timing of the authorship of the book of Revelation. you got you got to somehow fit the authorship of Revelation before 70 AD if Jesus' prophecies were fulfilled in the destruction of the temple. Or the last position, and increasingly, I think, more logical, um, with the birth of the state of Israel, the fact that Jerusalem is now the capital, the fact that now the... Uh, American embassy is in Jerusalem. The only other piece of the puzzle we're really waiting on is that declaration for the rebuilding of the temple, which essentially is, you know, for all intents and purposes, going to be, I would suggest, part of the Antichrist deal.
0: And you know Israel. what, I, I asked the question before uh, generously, um, you know, saying I was, uh, you know, um, advocating for the devil's position on this, mm. uh, and that was how are we not interpreting scripture through experience. Um, prophecy but that's the entirely appropriate thing to do with fulfilled prophecy uh, oh absolutely not with an unfulfilled prophecy mm. as opposed to those you know early church fathers who go well where is he we must have read it wrong mm. that's interpreting through unfulfilled experience uh but when it's seen and done exactly as was literally predicted
1: yeah, I, I mean, I'm not saying that we should never interact headlines with prophecy. It's just you've got to get the cart before the horse. Yeah. Or you got to get the horse before the cart, I should say. Uh, in, insofar and as, Jesus said to do that. Yeah. He we, said, read the weather. Exactly. And, and he rebukes the Pharisees for not doing that. Yeah. He, he, like, you know, basically he said, you guys know how to farm because of the seasons that you're in, but you don't know when the season of Messiah is here and you yeah. guys should have known the best. The idea here is that we need to interpret the headlines through prophecy, not... Not, not not, interpret prophecy through the headlines. So when we see these things unfold, right. we don't shape our biblical understanding by the headlines. Mm. We, we shape our worldview, including the headlines, based on what we know God has already spoken on it.
0: Yeah. So uh, one of the criticisms of uh, the faithfulness of God's covenant to Abraham, the enduring covenant to Abraham, mm. One of um, the criticisms of that would be that um, the 1948 creation of the modern state of Israel was not the fulfillment of uh, the the Valley of Dry Bones prophecy. Mm. Um, yet here's here's a uh, I think a, a syllogism um, that can be applied to this, and and that is um, that in Scripture we see it it's saying. What the, whatever door God opens, no man can close. Whatever door God closes, no man can open. Um, and and so you can apply that same logic to whatever God scatters, no man can gather. And God scattered Israel. Um, and also what God has gathered, uh, what God has scattered, only God can gather. And and that you know you, if you know this about God and the things that God does. Then it can only be God. Uh, the Jews can't regather themselves
1: uh, yeah.
0: from the diaspora. Um, although there was always a Jewish population in Israel, um, all throughout the diaspora, uh, there was there were, only God could regather them. Um, no human could supersede Absolutely. His His sovereignty.
1: I, I think to call anything um, but the formation of the modern state of Israel anything but a complete miracle of God. I, th- I think. I think. You know, generously does have to have a, a healthy serving of of some level of ignorance. To say that it was sheer Willful political ignorance, I, I, yeah, I, I think to say that the modern state of Israel was was the result of political will amongst an alliance of nations is, first of all, historically inaccurate. Or a
0: Jewish conspiracy.
1: Or a Jewish conspiracy. It's it's first of all historically inaccurate because, for the most part, England and and the United States mostly were, were opposed to that formation of the Israeli state. That was outlined in the Balfour Declaration and I mean even Winston Churchill himself you know uh, essentially from that Balfour Declaration he even um, took a crayon and and carved up what was already declared in that that was given to them and gave a a big chunk of it over to Jordan and the Hussein family so to say that you know America and England um, they had a couple of pre-millennialists in their political cabinet and they tried to basically make the Bible come to life and and, you know, they, you know, single-handedly steered the whole, you know, nations to, to mm. form this. So I, I I think is, yeah, at best, probably, you yeah, know, willful ignorance because the Bible repeatedly shows us that God is sovereign over the nations. Uh, it's a it's yes. a, it's a yeah. constant theme in the Old Testament. Uh, we at Kingdom Hope just finished an exegetical study of the book of Zechariah. Um, this is long before the war broke out. We just We just jumped into it. Um, as part of our, you know, in hindsight, probably led by Holy Spirit because we actually, you know, uh, discovered uh, a lot of what we now need to talk about was already laid out in that book insofar as the re- one of the reoccurring themes of Zechariah is that God is sovereign over nations. Yeah. And whatever chaos you see in the world, look above the chaos to the one who holds everything uh, in his hands. And so um, to say that God had no hand, in the formation of the modern state of Israel, and it was sheer political will by some people who are misinterpreting scripture, you know, I, I think is probably out there with the Flat Earth Society, um, if I was being more unkind um, and a little bit more jovial. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but it, it, it's a stretch. It's, it's, you, you're probably out on a limb if that's, if that's your position.
0: Okay. What other prophecies require a modern state of Israel uh, in order to be fulfilled?
1: Well, if you go through the book of Ezekiel, and like I said, Ezekiel when he when he wrote these prophecies, you know, thirty six, thirty seven, thirty eight, and thirty nine are all talking about national Israel.
0: I won't read all those. <laughs> no,
1: take a while to get through. Um, and you know, from from our position, my understanding would be that thirty six and thirty seven were primarily already fulfilled uh, in the regathering of Israel and the establishment of that nation in nineteen forty eight. Um, however, thirty eight, thirty nine are the Gog and Magog war. And if, if Israel is not a nation, I, I don't know who the world is gathering against or who those alliance of nations are coming down to invade.
0: Is there particular verses there you want to, we should look at? I, uh,
1: no, but it really is quite broad. Ezekiel 38 and 39, okay. after the Valley of Dry Bones being gathered back together, yep. really does head into, there is a, there is a list of, of nations. And essentially we see that list now, if we were to put the modern equivalents to it, you know, we do see Russia. Uh, that, that's up for debate, but I, I think it's uh, it, it's it, it's a pretty good strong evidence that it is Russia, uh, Central Asia, Afghanistan, Turkey, Iran, Libya, Sudan. Um, you know, essentially, if we look at the main players though of those tribes that are listed, you're looking at Turkey, Iran, and Russia. Now, is it just coincidence that this prophecy of 2,500 years ago? Um, saw that Turkey, Russia, and Iran would be geopolitically aligned today in 2023. I mean, if if you think that's just a sheer geopolitical coincidence, then once again, I, th- I think you might be out on a limb there. Or maybe there is a being outside of time and space who can predictably and reliably tell us the future of what's about to outplay and that these are, that these nations would find alliance, which Russia and Iran in alliance, like, that's just... Historically, they're enemies. Nobody saw that happening, Ezekiel did 2,500 years ago, under the inspiration of Holy Spirit. But to say that the Jews in Israel are not real Jews and that that the nation of Israel has nothing to do with biblical Israel, then I I don't know what you do with that. You just chalk it all up to coincidence and that, you know, um, Ezekiel, it was just, you know, he was throwing a dartboard with a blindfold on and he happened to nail the exact geopolitical temperature of 2023. Um, I don't know. I just I think that's probably a more preposterous yep. conclusion to come to than to actually say, well, maybe, maybe the Bible is serious about predicting the future, and maybe we should actually have a look at what God's already said. Yep. Maybe God's actually got a hand in this in this modern day Israel, and He's yep. got a plan as part of His redemption plan to the world, and, and Israel has a unique part in that.
0: If you're like me, you've been grieved by events in Israel as well as the reaction to them, especially seen on the news and the internet. Israel and Jew hatred is running hot, and sadly, tragically, not only amongst left-wing heathens. Join me for the Israel and anti-Semitism conference at the end of November, on the 26th of November, here in Brisbane. We will be combining with the Queensland Holocaust Museum to provide global experts and Australian experts on the topic of the history and theology of Israel and anti Semitism. Join with us to promote God's truth and fight hatred together. Details at churchandstate.com.au forward slash register. The Church and State. Israel and Anti-Semitism Conference, Sunday afternoon the 26th of November. Tickets and more details at churchandstate.com.au
1: Add to that, you got Zechariah. Zechariah says all the nations are going to gather against Israel. All the nations, not, not just the surrounding kind of typical historical... Yeah,
0: how does that happen without a literal Israel? How does it happen without a literal Israel? And where did it happen if it's already fulfilled?
1: Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, like I said, we're not, they, they're very reasoned in their thinking and they, they got good. And so they would say, well, you know, Ezekiel was talking about the known world at that time. Well, I think it's probably a little bit more um, logical that actually God who wrote the Bible, and the Holy Spirit inspired that, was literally talking about all nations. And we see the temperature of the world. Uh, turning mm. against Israel, or chalk it up to coincidence once again. And likewise, the Book of Revelation um, it, it talks about in Revelation twelve that Israel would actually flee. They'd actually flee uh, into the wilderness. Um, and if Israel's not a nation, I don't know who these Jews are that are uh, that are escaping into the wilderness, as you know, as prophesied by by the by the Revelator John.
0: Mm. Brilliant. So. Um, why is it important, and and why would the devil care? Why would the, the demonic principalities and powers um, be so determined um, to defeat Israel, kill Jews, um, erase it from the map right now? Why is it important to the gospel, um, to the important thing that Christians should be thinking about, um, that this is that this is true. what What relevance does it have? Why should the whole world be talking about Israel right now?
1: Well, I think that's a really good question. Once again, if replacement theology and it is true and that the biblical Israel has nothing to do with modern day Israel, then um, then why on earth is Satan focusing so much on Israel? Like somebody needs to tell Satan and his principalities, hey, these aren't real Jews and that's got nothing to do with Bible prophecy and, and, um, and Mr. Satan, you should become an It's you know Just mm. focus your attention on the church. And the rebuttal to that would be, well, Satan hates all nations. He wants to destroy all people. And look, there's an element of truth there. Look, Also true, yeah. Also true. Certainly Satan hates all nations. Um, let me say Hamas hates Palestinians as much as it hates Jews. I, I get that. It's a terrorist organization. It hates all people. Yeah, yeah. It just wants its own agenda. Iran uh, doesn't doesn't mind who it kills. It just wants its own political agenda. So there's an element of truth there. However, to unravel that quite quickly, you'd have to have a, a, an analysis of history that, that Israel has experienced genocide and invasion equally as other nations in the world. And that's just certainly not the case. They are the most persecuted people historically, mm. uniquely in Satan's hate. As much as they hold a unique position in God's love, they also hold a unique position in Satan's hate. And the reason for that is quite theological. It's quite logical in the theological reasoning, if I could put it that way. The fact is that God actually promised in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And as the plans of God's salvation and redemptive plan for the world have become more evident to Satan because he didn't know all the details. Matter of fact, it even says that if 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 Satan knew or if the demonic powers knew that crucifying Jesus uh, was going to be their downfall, they would have never have crucified the Lord of glory. Hmm. And so Satan doesn't know the full plan, but he does know that, he's, that his ultimate demise is going to be through the seed of the woman. Who's the seed of the woman? Well, it's Messiah. Where does Messiah come from? Well, we know it comes from Abraham. We know it comes through the Davidic line. So Satan has always had a plan to to kill babies. Um, We see this in Egypt, Pharaoh, um, it was a demonically inspired plan to kill all the babies in Israel. Why? Because that's where Satan's demise comes from. It's from the seed of the woman. We see it again in in Bethlehem, in Herod, that there's a king coming. But Satan interpreted that, oh, Messiah's about to be born, quick, kill all the babies. It's also why there's a massive hatred against women. Wherever you see a nation more away from the righteousness of God, you'll see a more and greater depraved subjugation of women. The more uh, that you get into a Christian Judeo worldview, you'll see more of a uh, equal rights of women. You'll see uh, personal liberties and freedoms of women, a valuing of women. Uh, Jesus valued women. Uh, He had, you know, his first evangelist was a woman. There's, there's There's an equal imago day in the woman and the man in the Christian worldview. However, as the plan goes forward, He's, he's already lost the war through Jesus Christ and the plan of redemption. But there's a future battle coming where he's literally going to be thrown into the lake of fire, the pit of hell, the abyss. He's done and dusted, thrown in chains. And that still is coming from the Messiah. It's still from the returning, conquering king. Let, let me pause here for a moment just to insert something, just to show you where I'm, where I'm going. Jürgen Moltmann said, You cannot separate Christology from eschatology. And you cannot separate eschatology from Christology. They are intrinsically linked. You cannot talk about Easter and leave out the conversation of the conquering, returning king. And Satan knows this. He's lost Easter. He, he lost that, that wall. There's now not only the firstborn, there's now the many. There's now a not just one Christ. There's billions of Christians. So his only attempt now is to now focus his attention on destroying the the conquering King Messiah that's coming back and if you get rid of Israel, then you can at least delay, (laughs) or at least you can So Satan knows if there's
0: no Israel, those prophecies can't be fulfilled.
1: Right. Just like he tried to wipe out the babies in Egypt, wipe out the babies in Herod, if he can thwart the plan of the seed of the woman, the conquering King Messiah, then he can hang on to his power for another day, another month, another year. Or maybe he's still ignorant enough to actually think that he can win this thing. Either way, Interesting, um, isn't it? Yeah, it? yeah. Either way, I'm not sure what what goes on in his head. You don't want to get in that mind. No, you don't. Uh, but you know, he, he does know his Bible pretty well, and he knows that an established state of Israel is a ticking time bomb on his uh, on his on his reign of terror.
0: Yeah. I think it's also important to to know that the reason we have to get this right is is because of the gospel. Right. That if God can break His covenant with Abraham. Uh, who was asleep when God made that covenant? Uh, there was no oath on Abraham's part. No. There was no duty or responsibility that's right on Abraham's part. He was asleep when God cut that covenant with him. Correct. He was there and he was present, but but asleep. And and if God can change the terms of that covenant, uh, replace who it's with, and and so forth, if if God can weasel his way out of that, then God is not faithful, and God's Covenant of grace with us um, is worthless and suddenly becomes dependent on our deserving his favour. Yeah. Uh, and and clearly, Israel is not an unimpeachable, perfect nation state. They correct. They do wrong things. Absolutely. Um, they are not beyond criticism. Um, but that and and the Jews as a people who who can behave with great ugliness. You've been to Israel, you know, there's uh, not always a great... I mean, the Jews love the tourists, but not necessarily Christianity.
1: No, that's right. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and, and But that is irrelevant to God's faithfulness to the covenant. Um, and just as we can't earn our salvation, we also can't work our way out of our salvation uh, with sin. And, and that is... Not that that's a license to sin, of course, always needs to be added. Um, and that is because God is faithful, and we know God is faithful because He's a covenant keeping God, um, keeping his covenant with Abraham, including the Holy Land, uh, for a thousand generations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I and I think that's that's of primary importance for us as Christians to understand that if God can break his covenant with Abraham, then you know how much faith can we have in the second covenant? in the the new covenant that he made with Jesus Mm. because it's a faith covenant. Abraham's was a faith covenant. It was grace that chose Abraham. He was a pagan idol worshipping. uh, Moon worshipper from Iraq. From Iraq. (laughs) He he was a complete pagan. But by grace, God chose him. He said, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And through you, all nations are going to be blessed. Mm. And part of this covenant is going to give you land. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you land. It's going to be my land, and even in Ezekiel thirty-six, God still, and even as late as Ezekiel thirty, he's saying it's my land, it's going to be on it's going to be on permanent um, loan to you, but it's my land. Mm. I'm going to I'm going to lease it to you. It's going to be your land, but it's mine. Um, and those those two promises are synonymous. Now Abraham accessed that by faith. Much like our covenant with Jesus, mm. it's by grace we were chosen. It's by grace that we are. We are safe, but we still got to access it by faith. Mm. Grace is available to everybody, but it's only those who access it by faith will actually receive the salvation of Jesus Christ. Yeah,
0: and so if if God because this is in Hebrews the the hall of faith Hebrews eleven yeah um, where it, was, it Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness, righteousness because he believed God yeah because he believed God would do what he said he would do and and that that covenant is is everlasting.
1: is everlasting?
0: it's It's absolutely everlasting. and and so we actually disqualify ourselves, for, I think, from the hall of faith, from that kind of faith, at least that's in Hebrews eleven, if we believe any less than Abraham did, that God would keep his covenant.
1: Yeah, and that word everlasting is the Hebrew word alarm. and at times, and this is one of their objections to to our interpretation, is that, well, it, the word Olam, Everlasting was also used of the Mosaic Covenant and also used of the Aaronic Priesthood. And both of those came to an end. Um, so if both of those came to an end, how come the Abrahamic Covenant, which is also used with the word alarm, um, everlasting, how come that isn't also ceased? And there, there is a, it's a great question. And that word alarm is dictated into what type of everlasting by the context of the surrounding passages and, and words like like most language. And when you, when you study out the Mosaic and the Aaronic uh, covenants and priesthoods, um, the everlasting and the use of that olam is different to the everlasting olam usage of the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant context of that use of the word olam really is as far as you can go far back and as far as you can go far forward, almost with the premise and the concept of eternity in mind, that it is a truly in the way that we would understand that English word everlasting, a fairly accurate way to describe the Abrahamic covenant, as opposed to the Mosaic covenant, which, even though has been superseded, is still at large in play. Which is why Paul says, you know, if you if you want to go by the Mosaic ways, you've got to do all of it. Like you can't, you break one bit, you've broken all of it.
0: Let's have a look at the scriptures. For just maybe we start wrapping up soon. But um, for those people who believe um, Jews have have forfeited. Uh, their role in the covenant, that they've earned mm. their way out of it. Mm. Um, may, maybe you can think of a better scripture to do this, and if so, let's look at that. but um, where does it say the gifts of God are irrevocable? Uh, Romans eleven Romans eleven is is that where do you think um, we should we should um, use scripture to say that that theory is wrong, that uh, this is an everlasting covenant and the Jews can't earn their way out of it? Or is there a better well, passage?
1: I, I, think, I think Paul is wrestling with this himself and this conversation and, and understanding and question of, okay, well, if there's now a new covenant that's open to all Gentiles in the whole world, what, what, what what's to happen to the Jew? And he starts out with our own rhetorical question, which Paul often does. It's part of his writings. He asks rhetorical questions and answers them. In Romans 11.1, 1, he, he answers it himself. So if you read Romans 11.1... 1,
0: so I ask... God has not rejected His people, has He? Absolutely not. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, from the tribe of Benjamin.
1: Right. So he's, he's a, well. He's like I'm a Jew, so I'm now in Christ, and so obviously Jews can still be saved. Um, it's just that now Jew and Gentile is saved in Christ and through Christ. So then, even though that's 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 quite clear, um, which is very much. Replenishment theology and premillennialism is on the same footing here. But if you go further down to verse 11 and, and read from there, you'll see that actually, sorry, 25 to 27, um, you'll see that that actually he goes deeper into the context and saying, no, actually the unique place that, that Israel has in God's plan of redemption is a gift, not only to the world, but it's a gift to Israel itself. And God's not taking that gift back. Mm.
0: So 25 to 27 says, yeah. uh, Romans eleven twenty five. 25, for I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. A partial hardening has happened to Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, The Deliverer will come out of Zion, and He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins.
1: Exactly. So. Even though it's a mystery, now let's define mystery. Mystery is something that was hidden now revealed, and there's several mysteries. It's not like a mystery as in a Gnostic type of sense of hey, it's an unknowable knowledge, and only those who have secret powers can understand it. No, God always reveals mysteries. The church was a mystery; it was hidden in the Old Testament but revealed in the New. And part of this mystery that Paul's un- un- unpacking here in the in the um, in the election of the church. Um, contrasting and compared to the election of Israel, uh, because sometimes it's talking about the election of Israel, sometimes it's talking about the election of the church. These actually, these don't fight with each other, they coalesce with each other. They find unity in Christ, but they they now coalesce in the overall plan of the the redemptive uh, salvation of God for all humanity.
0: So verse 11 says, I ask then, they did not stumble into an irrevocable fall. Uh, Absolutely not. But by their transgression, salvation has come to Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Now, if their transgression means riches for the world and their defeat means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full restoration bring? So is this saying that the Jews are still the chosen people of God or is it saying that the opportunity to stay chosen is in joining the church, in joining, being located in Messiah, in Christ?
1: Both. It's back to that theological, it's both. They do have a unique place in God. Do they have a side entry into salvation? No, it's only through Jesus that you can be saved. And so we need to be witnessing and evangelizing Israeli people. We need to be witnessing and evangelizing Jewish people because without Jesus, they will go to an eternity uh, without God. Mm. Um, however, they also are God's chosen people. He hasn't unchosen them. He hasn't discarded them.
0: Mm.
1: Let, if you go back to Jeremiah, because
0: he, he's a covenant-keeping God,
1: he's a covenant-keeping God. And, and you know, uh, think about perseverance of the saints, just in the Jewish context. You know, and it's and it's interesting that uh, that often those who hold to replacement theology will hold to perseverance of the saints. And uh, I don't know how they reconcile uh, those two positions. Um, and What's perseverance of the saints? That basically once saved, always saved.
0: Ah.
1: Yeah. So um, so it's interesting that in, in systems of theology, both, uh, those things uh, live side by side. Uh, but let, let's have a look at what God says in Jeremiah 31, 35 to 37.
0: Yeah. Jeremiah 31, 35. The Lord has made a promise to Israel. He promises it as the one who fixed the sun to give light by day and the moon and stars to give light by night. He promises it as the one who stirs up the sea, so its waves roll. His name is the Lord of heaven's armies. The Lord affirms, The descendants of Israel will not cease forever to be a nation in my sight. That could only happen if the fixed ordering of the heavenly lights were to cease to operate before me. The Lord says, I will not reject all the descendants of Israel because of all that they have done. That could only happen if the heavens above could be measured or the foundations of the earth below could all be explored, says the Lord.
1: Yeah, so basically God's saying, as long as the sun, moon and stars are still hanging where I put them, Israel will be where I put them as well. And that's as my chosen people. And so last time I checked, the sun's still there, it hasn't moved. The stars are still there, it hasn't moved. So it must mean Mm. that God's covenant hasn't moved either.
0: So is that not saying that, uh, God can reject Israel, just not all of it. Is he not giving himself the loophole there to let some of them remain those who choose Jesus? Uh, th- that
1: would be an element of it. However, I don't, I don't think you could go too far down that track because certainly if you don't choose Jesus, then God will reject you. But in essence, you've actually rejected God because the invitation is still there to all of Israel and the covenant is still there.
0: And the entire, in the entire world.
1: And the entire world. It's probably a very Western question, though, because in Western Christianity, particularly because of, um, you know, the gift of the reformers once again, instead of thinking about national salvation and saving of nations, we tend to think of salvation as individually applied. And we've probably taken that a little bit too far, even to the extent now that spirituality is more of an individual consumer product than an actual part of an ecclesia, a body. And that actually our role is to disciple nations. Yeah, interesting. And so when God's talking about um, saving Jews and covenant with Jews, um, our Western minds think, well, he's talking about the individual. And it's like, no, no, he's talking about the, 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 the nation, the wow. tribe, the people, the generations. God's interested in nations.
0: Yeah, very, very interesting. That, uh, that has some very tragic consequences for some nations.
1: It does, and and this is one of the judgments that happens when Jesus returns is the sheep and goats judgment. Like we we, once again, if you're allegorical, you'll you'll chuck all the judgments in together with no separation. But there's a bema seat judgment, which is a judgment for Christians. Um, it's a reward ceremony. There's a great white throne judgment, which is your the name is in the book of life or it's not. But there's actually a third judgment, which Jesus does here on planet Earth at his second coming. Wow. And that is to separate the sheep nations and the goat nations, the the, the nations that. That are, that submit to Jesus and follow Him, and the nations that have completely and utterly rejected Him.
0: Wow, the mind boggles how terrifying that'll be for the the goat nations.
1: Absolutely, because the King of the, He's King of the Jews, but He's also King of the
0: world. It, it's yes, yes, but it's uh, like I am I mean, it just breaks my heart that our nation might not be counted among those sheep nations. Well.
1: Let's, uh, let's hope that we are. And, and uh, like,
0: Yeah, America's not in, uh, in Revelation and Australia's not in Revelation. I'm not sure <laughs> that Britain's in Revelation. Um, but, um,
1: no, well, it's a Middle Eastern book. so Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah ob- obviously uh, they, there was no such thing as USA or Australia or the, sure. uh, the British Isles in those days. It's, it,
1: it, it's probably mentioned in Ezekiel. There's probably, probably a mention of the Western Ezekiel where you know, um, there is some pretty good consensus around that the young lions of Tarshish is a reference to England and all of her colonies. So America, Australia, Uh, but we're not painted in a good light because it actually says that even the young lions of Tarshish stand at a distance. Wow. Um, So the Western alliances of the Gog and Magog war essentially will will not come to Israel's aid like like they are.
0: Okay, so wrap it up. Give us a conclusion. Where have we traveled across this interview?
1: The prodigal son story is a story that we subscribe to ourselves um and that we that we have an affinity with because we recognize that we were the ones that were that were dead and in our trespasses and our sins. and that we turned to God and when we turned to God, what we actually saw was was not us running to God, but actually God running to us that he'd already made a plan through Jesus Christ the Messiah, for us to come to salvation in and through him, that grace was always there for us to choose. All it took was a turning and then God put a robe on us, shoes on our feet, a ring of authority on our hand. But I've got to say, before that story was ever about us, it was actually about Israel. And in historical context, Jesus told that story to the Pharisaical leaders in a Jewish community that was that son that was living in disobedience. And so if you want to place the prodigal son story in, in historical context, it's a story about national Israel that they disobeyed God, that they were in trespasses, living in pig's mess. The most worst thing a Jew could ever do.
0: The story of the prodigal son, the, the son left his father's house and went where? To the Gentiles? Yeah he, yeah, he went off into the world. Which really could be talking about the diaspora. The diaspora,
1: the um, idolatry, the, the complete and utter rejection of the father.
0: As well as the spiritual condition, but even the physical location. Sure.
1: But, but when the when the juice came to their, to their senses, which you know, the sun, yeah, when, when the sun came to their senses, um, it was an invitation from Jesus to those Jewish leaders at that time before he was crucified, saying, "Hey, there's still time. Turn to God right now. Turn to the Father, and what you'll find is a loving Father standing there, wanting to put a ring of authority on your hand, a robe of righteousness over your shoulders, shoes of authority uh, mm-hmm. for you to walk in." Uh, which there was always their birthright, uh, and, and being a son, Israel being the son of God, which he which he does reference Israel as his son when he's talking to Pharaoh in Egypt, and uh, and and that story was about the prodigal son. Now, if we are willing to understand the faithfulness, the providence, and the sovereignty of God to extend that invitation for us to be as far away from God as possibly one could imagine, living in pig's mess and to turn back to the Father and know that actually that, that that invitation to salvation, no matter what we've done, is still there for us because of His faithfulness, then why would we withhold that from Israel?
0: Hmm.
1: Either individually, and sure, I don't think anyone would do that, but why would we hold it from them nationally? Why would we say, even if Israel as a nation turned back to God, that, that they would be utterly cast off and that there wouldn't be a loving Father standing there at the boundary of His property, Wanting to run to his son, embrace him, fall on him, kiss his neck, put a ring of authority, kill the fatted calf and celebrate because Israel had come home. Mm. I just don't see anything in scripture and I don't see anything in the character and the nature of God that permits such a verdict.
0: Mm. Very good. So uh, Israel is still Israel. Jews are still Jews. God is still faithful to his covenant with Abraham for his sons, his nation and the, the Holy Land.
1: Absolutely. And Jesus is coming back and He will live, rule and reign in Jerusalem as King of the Jews. Jesus is Jewish. Don't forget that. Mm. Not was Jewish. He didn't hand His passport in as He went up into heaven off the Mount of Olives. He's still Jewish. He's coming back to live, rule and reign, save His brethren from the surrounding nations that are coming to kill them in the Gog and Magog War and in the Revelation Armageddon War. He will, he will be the one that mm. saves His brethren. And when he lands on the Mount of Olives, he will live, rule, and reign in Jerusalem as King of the Jews. But he's also coming back as King of the world, King of justice, King of mercy, and we will live and 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 enjoy his 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 joy everlasting.
0: Amen. Very good. If you've got questions, comments, uh, the conversation obviously can continue. Um, if you would uh, then then leave them in the comments beneath this video. If you would uh, like to see more of this kind of teaching, um, then I can recommend Josh's annual conference, the Future Hope Conference. Uh, And if you subscribe to my newsletters, you'll be notified of them when that's available. You can do that at churchandstate.com.au or you can also subscribe at davepello.com to the weekly newsletters and updates. We'll let you know events that are happening um, in that weekly newsletter. Um, Thanks very much, Josh